we turn in the Word of God to Philippians chapter 3. The text that we consider comes from verses 6 and 7 of chapter 4. We'll read through verse 9 of that chapter. Paul, the apostle, is in prison, remember, as he writes this letter to the church in Philippi and has instruction about rejoicing in the Lord. That is really the theme of the book of Philippians. And he, in the text we consider tonight, gives the command not to worry. That's impossible to do, to worry and rejoice in the Lord. In order to rejoice in the Lord, you have to put worry away. And he speaks of enjoying the peace of God. Beginning in verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an ensample. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech, Iodius, and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labor with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. As far as we read the word of God, May God bless the reading of his word. You may note verse 17 of chapter 3, verse 9 of chapter 4, both call the people in Philippi to mark the apostles and faithful preachers 
and to follow their examples. I call your attention to verse 6. Be careful for nothing. Understand that is King James' translation of do not worry or be not anxious about anything. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, there are two promises that God makes to us in his word that I speak to you about in the introduction to this sermon. One promise for us as the people of God is probably easier to believe than the other promise. That is the promise of heaven. The promise that after this life, we will have eternal life in the place of glory. And the Apostle Paul speaks of the coming of Jesus Christ and the hope of heaven at the end of chapter 3. And that is very important. If the believer is going to rejoice always, he's going to have to be able to look beyond the horizon of this life, isn't he? He's going to have to be able to say, I have a hope for a better life. And in that hope, I can rejoice now and always. If the believer somehow is going to be able to conquer worry and anxiety, it's going to have to do with that hope that he has in Jesus Christ of the coming of a better life. If the believer is going to be able to enjoy peace with God, he has to put his hope not in this life, but in the life to come, the life with God in the glory of heaven. Now, sometimes we struggle with that hope of heaven, maybe because of our battle with sin, maybe as we feel our own unworthiness, our own inadequacy. Sometimes we might think, there's no way I'm going to get to heaven. But then we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's preached to us. That gospel is declared to us through the sacraments, especially when we partake of the Lord's Supper. And we are reminded that we are the heirs of eternal life, of glory in heaven, not because of what we have done, but because of the perfect Work the perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am right with God, and I am an heir of eternal life. And it's not hard for me to believe this for sure, that heaven is going to be a place of perfect peace. Not going to worry about anything in heaven. I understand that. But the second promise that the Word of God gives to the believer in the verses we read and in the text that we consider tonight is that the peace of God is ours to enjoy in this life. And that peace of God, remember, is described as perfect peace. You see that mentioned, the peace of God. In verse 7, in the peace of God which passeth all understanding. Somehow this peace of God which is beyond my ability to comprehend with my human mind, 
somehow that is mine, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then also verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Not in heaven, but now in your daily life. That we can have peace right now, I say, is harder than believing that God is going to take us to heaven someday and that there in heaven we will have perfect peace. In fact, some of you may be hearing this tonight in the congregation saying, no, I believe in heaven and I believe that there I will have perfect peace. But in this life, no, I do not think it's possible to put away worry and anxiety and have perfect peace peace. Why is it so hard for us to be at peace right now? Well, for one thing, we know that this is a very troubled world. This is a world where there are so many problems. This world is not perfect like we know heaven is going to be. We know that there are many problems that face our nation. We know that there are problems that we often face in the workplace, at the job, in the home, even in the church. There's just so much to worry about. That, first of all. And then secondly, what the Apostle Paul is revealing here, and what we all have to admit tonight, is that we are prone to Worry. We so easily fall into worry and anxiety and panic. And that worry does get in the way of peace, doesn't it? With so much to worry about, and with our natural inclination to worry, it's hard to believe that we could ever have peace. In this life. And this is exactly why we need to hear this word of God that is before us here in the text, penned by the Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Spirit. We are worriers who need peace. And God, in His wisdom, knows what our weakness is. And He doesn't come, first of all, and say, Now be at peace. But he comes and he says, I know what your weakness and your problem is. And that needs to be addressed, first of all. You need to put away worry and anxiety. And then putting away worry and fear, put on faith and trust and peace with God. Now, I know he doesn't say, do not worry, put off worry, put on faith. But that's what he's saying when he says, be careful for nothing, so don't worry. And then do what? In everything, by prayer and supplication. Exercise your faith praying to God. So we consider tonight fear versus faith. Noticing, first of all, the vanity of worry or fear. Secondly, the firmness of faith, and then thirdly, the power of peace. Be careful for nothing. Do not worry about anything. 
What is worry? What is anxiety? And do we even need to ask that question? We all know what worry is. We all worry. We are all guilty. We have a command here from the apostle of Jesus Christ, do not worry. And we need to understand this is not an abstract command. This is not an academic type of command, some remote possibility that we might worry. But as with all of the commands, when God comes to us and says, now you may not do this, this is sinful, God comes to us with a command that is addressing a sin with which we struggle. So that when the first commandment says, thou shalt have no other gods before me, no one in the congregation may say, well, that's not me. I never worship any idols. God comes to us with our idol-worshiping hearts and minds, and he says, you stop it. This is what sin you are prone to commit. So it is with all of the commandments. And so now in the text, when God says, stop worrying, this goes along with idol worship, with disobedience to parents or authority, lying, stealing, coveting. You and I need to say before the commandment of God, I'm guilty. This isn't just some people in the congregation, maybe some women or some anxious men who I recognize have a worry problem. But this is something that everyone in the congregation in Philippi and everyone here in the congregation in First PRC of Holland needs to say, the Lord is addressing my sin. We are all guilty of worry. We need the grace of God to stop us. So we do all know what worry is. The apostle says, don't worry about anything. Oh, the little thing. We know what it is to worry about little things. You know that they are little things, and yet this it exposes how prone we are to worry that we can't stop being anxious about them. Did I clean my house enough for company to come over? What are they going to think about the way that I decorated things? How do I look? I got dressed and I am very concerned that people see me as someone who has a good sense of style. I even spent 10 minutes looking in the mirror at one hair on my head. I got it in the right place, but now I've gone out and the wind may have blown it out of place and now I can't stop fretting about that hair. And will you agree with me then, beloved, that these are the kinds of things that we can tend to get anxious about, recognizing that these are not the important things, these are not the weighty matters of the kingdom of heaven, and yet we can get so sidetracked by these unimportant things. So sinful are we. Maybe you are ready to agree with me that many of the things that we worry about are vain and useless. But sometimes we worry about big things too when it comes to ourselves, when it comes to our family, when it comes to our livelihood in the workplace, when it comes to the church, when it comes to the nation even. Maybe you remember, maybe to some of you it didn't seem like a nearly as 
big of a moment as it seemed in the media, but maybe you remember when Russia attacked the Ukraine. And there were people who were concerned this might trigger World War III. Maybe the NATO nations become involved. Maybe the allies of Russia become involved. And maybe instead of just two nations involved in warfare, it could quickly escalate to the point where all of the nations of the world are involved. There were people talking that way. And to me it seemed far-fetched, but then my teenage daughter came home and made a comment that people between the age of 18 and 45 are eligible to be drafted by the government for military service. And she pointed out to me that at the age of 44, I'm still eligible for that. And what that indicated is that this was serious enough that that day at Covenant Christian, this discussion was had. Our people called to serve in a war and brought in harm's way with their lives on the line. Isn't that something to be worried about? And you might be thinking, do you know what has happened in my life recently? If you knew the big things, if Paul knew the big things, not little things that I'm concerned about, surely he would not chastise me for worrying. Do you know what the doctor said to me or to my family member? If you knew, you would know that I'm worrying about something very significant indeed. Do you know what happened in the workplace? Do you know how close I am to losing my job, my livelihood? If you knew what was going on in my life, you'd understand. I'm not worrying about the little things. I'm worrying about very important things. And maybe if we stopped here and said, this is what worry is. It is the anxiety we have because of very real problems that we face in the world. It is the fear that we have because things we're dealing with now make the future look so bleak. If this is what we said worry was and stopped there, maybe we could say yes. This is just a a part of life and there's no escaping it and it's normal, it's not wrong. But we have to reckon with the fact that worry is a sin. It is a spiritual sin against God, a very deep, serious, spiritual problem. First of all, we have to reckon with the fact that the apostle is not giving advice here, but he's giving a command. Be careful for nothing. Do not worry about anything. And we have to make sure that we feel the weight of this command from the apostle tonight. Oh, yes, if the apostle came and said, it's a sin to look at pornography, quit looking at pornography. That's a serious sin. I better not do that. If the apostle came to me and said, stop lying. Lying's a sin. Yes, it's very important that I hear him and I stop doing that then we have this sense that worrying is such a part of our lives. It's not 
really that serious of a sin, we have to hear the apostles say, stop worrying. That is sin against God. And when you compare, <coughs> excuse me, when you compare what the apostle says here in Philippians 4 to what the Lord Jesus Christ says in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, you understand this is a command of the Lord Jesus Christ and that this is a very serious matter in the kingdom of heaven. The king of the kingdom of heaven hates it when the citizens of his kingdom worry. He forbids it. You may not worry. It's disobedience to the command of God. Secondly, worry is placed in this text in contrast with putting your faith in God, meaning that worry is unbelief with regard to God. Worry is the exact opposite of putting your trust in God. Worry is the exact opposite of depending upon God. When you worry, maybe you don't say it in so many words, but what you're saying in your heart and your mind is, I don't trust God. I don't depend upon him. Worry is sinful unbelief. It comes when we wrongfully focus on ourselves instead of God. Worry comes when we wrongfully focus on our circumstances instead of on God. God does not matter when we worry. Do you understand that? What are you saying at that moment when you're worried about what? You. I matter, not God, not his providence, not his will, not his power. Worry is denial that God is God. It's a denial that he is sovereign. It is a denial that God is in control of all things for my good. And this puts things in a whole new perspective. Is worry really so bad? Well, every time I become anxious, I am saying to God, I don't believe in you. I don't believe that you're in control of this situation. I don't believe that you have the power or the love to make all of this work out for my good and my salvation. I don't believe you're really in control of wars. I don't believe you're really in control of economies. I don't believe that you're really in control of diseases and of life and of death. I don't really believe that you're in control of my life, my family, my church. And that is why I am so worried. And Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, puts this all in this context. He says, no man can serve two masters. That's the question. What master do you serve? Who's your God? For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in mammon. And then what's the application? He says, therefore I say unto you, take no thought. Do not worry for your life, what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, nor yet your body and what you shall put on is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment. You understand what Jesus is saying? You can't have God and mammon. And he's saying, and when you walk in worry, you're rejecting God and you're serving mammon and you're serving this earthly life. So you and I must confess the vanity 
of worry. Now, when you think of something that is vain, perhaps you think of something that's useless, and that is true. The Lord Jesus Christ in the Sermon on the Mount exposes to us that worry is useless, and certainly the Apostle Paul could expound upon that for the people in the church at Philippi. What has worry ever gained you? Has it ever profited you anything? Has it ever helped you? You remember that question Jesus asked? You're feeling a little short. You'd like to be an inch or a cubit taller. All right. Sit for a day, for a month, for a year, and worry about it. Going to get any taller? It's not going to do you any good. Worry will waste your time. How many of you have found yourself worrying about something? I know this is going to happen. If it happens, it's going to ruin my life. And it doesn't happen. I've faced that many times as a pastor sitting in the study or in some other room with someone so sure they knew some terrible thing was going to happen. But it hadn't happened yet. And in the end, it never happened. Worry will get you headaches. Worry will get you sleeplessness. It will get you ulcers. It will get you many things. But it won't ever help you solve any of the problems you're worried about. That's wise for us to take note of. Worry is vain. It's useless. But vanity also carries the sense of sinfulness. And we must confess the awful sinfulness of worry against God. Why worry as if there is no God when there is a God? You see? Why worry as if God is not in control when God is in control? Why worry as if God does not love us when he assures us in his word through Jesus Christ he does love us? If this is what you believe, that there is a God, that he is sovereign and in control of all things, and that he loves you for Jesus' sake, then you must say tonight, worry is a sin that I must put out of my life. Foolish, sinful, to worry about the little things, the big things, Paul says anything. Put off worry and put on faith. <coughs> Excuse me. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Exercise your faith. Exercise your faith specifically in this, in praying to God. When you pray, this is one of the basic elements of prayer, isn't it? You're saying, I don't trust in me. I don't have this. I'm not in control. When I go to God in prayer, this is... And you can look this up in Lord's Day 45, one of the chief requirements of prayer, that I recognize my need, my smallness, and I recognize that I depend on someone else. And why am I going to God in prayer? Why am I not going to my parents, praying to them, or to my brother or sister? Because they are not sovereign, eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing. You admit your smallness, you admit God's greatness, 
You're putting yourself, you're putting your circumstances, you're putting the little things that are going on in your life and the big things that are going on in your life into the hands of God. When you pray, you're believing in him, you're trusting in him, resting in him, and putting your faith in God. Paul knows Matthew 6 very well. The apostles and all their teaching always went back to the teaching that they received from Jesus Christ. And what is the real problem with worry? Well, Jesus tells us that in Matthew 6, verse 30, Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Paul knows when you're worrying, your faith is little, it's weak. Now put away your worry, and now put your faith into action bringing your prayers to God. Believe that God created the world. Believe that God created you. Believe that God is in his providence still in control of the world. Believe what you read in James, that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights from above. Believe that God is in control of everything that's happening moment by moment in your life. And believe that Jesus died for you, and that God in his love for you for Jesus' sake is going to bring you to heaven to live with him in eternity. Then you should believe this too, Jesus says. The God who cares for the grass that lives, that now is, and tomorrow is gone. The God, therefore, who tends this little blade of grass that lives for 24 hours, He is taking care of you. Exercising faith is the opposite of worry. Worry is foolish. Remember we said a little while ago, it doesn't do any good. It leads us to trust ourselves in things other than God, which is just the same thing as trusting what? Air. Worry is vain. Worry is useless. Worry is foolish. Faith is wise. It is solid. When you put your faith in God, you're believing in the God who really is. He really is the God of salvation. He really is the God of providence. Put your faith in him and you find that you have a real friend. That's the idea of prayer, is it not? We're not talking to the air when we fold our hands and close our eyes and pray to God. We're talking to God, and he hears our prayers, and he answers our prayers. And he wants you to talk to him. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. Don't say tonight, God doesn't know, and he doesn't care. If only he knew, he wouldn't tell me not to worry. No, God is saying to you, I want, not because I don't know, he knows before you ask, but I want you to bring your cares, your anxieties to me. Pray to God, make requests. 
Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. In other words, bring your requests to God. You need something, ask him. And now here's the interesting thing. When we speak about worrying and not worrying, the apostle, well, the King James uses the word be careful for nothing, and then you come away with the sense he's saying don't care at all about anything. But the apostle is not saying you and I may not care about these things at all. He is not saying that you and I may not take these things seriously. In fact, when the apostle says, you're going to go to God in prayer, and you're going to make these things a matter of prayer in your request before God, that shows you're taking these things seriously. We don't go to God as Christians and pray to God about trivial things. We go to God and we pray to him about important things. And when we pray to him about things that we know, yes, are small in comparison to God, but we go to him and we lay before him our worries, our anxiety concerning things in the home, in our friendship relationships, in the church, in the workplace. God doesn't look at us and say, no, don't bring those things to me. Those things are trivial. These are important things that we rightly bring to God. And what is the prayer? Lord, change my circumstances. Lord, make my life better. Lord, make it so that everything is going just right in my life so I have nothing to worry about. No, what we're praying for really is faith. Faith to know, to believe in God, and to trust him. So that even in the midst of trouble, we understand, because I know God, I don't have anything to worry about. Because I am sure of my salvation in Jesus Christ, I have nothing to worry about. Because I know, though my circumstances can change tomorrow, and everything from an earthly point of view can fall apart, this won't change, that I am right before God, my sins are forgiven, and I have the hope of eternal life in heaven. And I know that God's grace is sufficient and that he is making all things work together for my salvation. Paul is an example of this. We didn't read that, but in verse 13, I have that wrong. In one of the surrounding verses, the Apostle Paul speaks of the fact that he is in bonds. If you go back to chapter 1, you will see that he is a prisoner for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's in a house. It's house arrest, but it's not like the time when he had freedom to go out sometimes to talk to others and to receive others. This is the time when the Apostle Paul is in solitary confinement, and yet he's not focused on himself. He's not focused on his needs or his circumstances. He's focused on God, his need for God, to put his faith in God, and to know that his peace and his safety is in God. While the Apostle Paul is in prison, 
and could be worrying about the fact that this is going to be another day where I'm literally sitting in chains and I can't move and I can't talk to other people while the Apostle Paul's in prison and could be worrying about maybe today's the day Caesar's going to bring me out of this prison and lift off my head. He says, no, I want to keep my focus on God. I want to keep my focus on Jesus Christ, on the salvation that I have for my sins in him. I want to have satisfaction in knowing that I belong to God for Christ's sake. And this explains why Paul says, in this prayer you make requests, but also thanksgiving. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. The idea of this is praise. And Paul is saying, what a privilege. Here I am in prison, and what a privilege that at any time I want to, I have the opportunity to go to the God who made heaven and earth, the God of the whole universe. Your doctor sometimes tells you, yes, I'll see you in three weeks or in three months. Paul appealed to Caesar, and he wanted to appear before the emperor, but you don't just walk into the emperor's throne room. It takes a long time, in Paul's case, years before he has the ability to see the great Caesar. And here he is, this lowly prisoner, who in prison... Any time he wants, can enter into the throne room of the God of the universe, bring his requests, bring his praise, bring his thanks to God, and give him thanks for specific things. That's the idea. The Apostle Paul is saying it's not enough to say, I'm not going to worry. I'm going to pray to God. But I actually have to recognize, even in prison, that there are good things that God has done for me, good things that God has given me in Jesus Christ. And can you see what a wise and very practical pastor the Apostle Paul was? You come to the study of the Apostle Paul and you tell him everything that's going wrong in your life. This is what's going on in my marriage. This is what's going on at work. This is what's going wrong in the congregation. People are mistreating me everywhere. My life is going very poorly. I'm worried about all these things. And his instruction is not only this, well, the Word of God says to you that you are not to worry but you're to put your trust in God. But we're going to take it a step further. You need to start counting your blessings. You need to start being specific and intentional and saying, these are the good things. I'm a Christian. I belong to God for the sake of Jesus Christ. That means there are good things, great good things, great blessings in my life. I don't deserve. And I had better not be unthankful, but be thankful and name them in prayer 
to God. Can you not think of any material things that you have that you don't deserve that are good gifts that come from God and his providence? But more than that, what spiritual things has God given you in Jesus Christ? And do you see what's happening? Often, when you put something off, like worry, you can't stop there. If you stop there, the worry's going to do what? It's going to come back. The wise, practical Apostle Paul says, put that off and now start praising and thanking God and let that take the place of your worry. And when you think of, especially the spiritual blessings of redemption, hope of heaven, the loving providence of God, the perfect peace of God will begin to take hold of your heart and life in this life here and now. Notice that the apostle is speaking of the peace of God. That's verse 7. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. This is an amazing thing. You and I cannot fully understand the peace of God, the peace in which he dwells eternally in the whole of his life as the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This earth is a mess. You and I live in this messy world. God is in charge of this mess. He rules over it and knows the messiness of this world better than you and me. You and I every now and then hear on the news about the evil of some tyrant ruling over a foreign nation. God, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, knows the evil of that man's heart and the evil of all of his deeds. He knows all of the evil, all of the wickedness, all of the corruption, all throughout the world. He's the ruler of broken nations, broken homes, and broken people. He knows that the institutions of this world are corrupt. He sees political corruption, economic corruption, healthcare corruption, wherever you want to find it. And then there's the spiritual realm that God rules, Satan and all of the dark angels that are constantly plotting against God and against his kingdom. They oppose God. They oppose the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They want to spread evil and corruption. Now here's the question. Does any of this disturb God? Does any of this make his heart race? Does any of this make his blood pressure rise? Does any of this make him need to take any medication to calm down? Not for one moment. And that's what's beyond our comprehension, isn't it? Here he is, the God who is ruling over this fallen, corrupt world, the fallen angels, fallen human beings, and yet he lives in perfect peace. He sits on his throne and he says, my life is blessed forever. And he looks at Satan and he says, he doesn't bother me. Yeah, I see what he's doing. He's fulfilling my perfect plan in all of his evil schemes and in all of his evil actions. And he looks at you and me in his church 
And he says, yes, I see you every moment of every day. I see the circumstances that are too big for you. I see the problems that cause your heart anxiety. But from my point of view, my love never changes. My power to control what's going on in your life never changes. I'm continuing to work everything for your good and salvation. And this is the peace that God has revealed in Jesus Christ and for the sake of Jesus Christ. Two things briefly here to know. First of all, Jesus Christ was the man of sorrows. He was the Savior who suffered, but he was not a man of worry and panic and anxiety. He knew he would be put to death. He knew God was going to send his soul to hell. He did not want that pain. He knew that that would be terrible pain and anguish. And yet, he believed the promise of God. This suffering, this anguish is not going to be the end for you, Jesus. And so Jesus faced the most horrific suffering that a human being could with peace. This is the will of God, and this is for my glory and for the salvation of my church. That first of all. But then secondly, don't ever forget this. There were three hours where Jesus did not experience the peace of God. He faced all of the terrible wrath of God for your and my sins. And there he secured our peace with God. There he suffered the lack of peace with God, the wrath of God, so that you and I will never know what it means to be alienated from God. And you can say tonight, I have real trouble in my life. Sometimes, as the psalmist puts it, right, the earth shakes, the seas roar, the mountains seem to be carried away by the troubles of life, and that's me. I seem to be flooded with troubles. But I will never, ever have peace with God taken from me and replaced with the wrath of God because Jesus bore all the wrath of God in my place. And he earned peace that he gives to us through his word and spirit. That's what the apostle is saying here. Even though you cannot fully understand this peace of God, which he has in his own life, which Jesus Christ exhibited, because Jesus Christ has come and saved us from our sins, because he's brought us out of the world into the church, because he's united us to himself through his Holy Spirit, because he gives us his word in our hearts, we have that peace, and it keeps, it guards your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The covenant is God sharing his own life with us so that he is our friend and we are his friends. And this is one aspect of that covenant, that we have peace with God now and forever in our hearts. He gives us grace through his word, through his truth, to drive away 
worry. May God do that tonight. You and I are prone to worry. May God, through the power of his word where he commands us not to worry, drive that worry out of our hearts and give us the confidence of faith, the courage of heart, the peace to say, I know my circumstances really do hurt sometimes. And they can change and become even worse tomorrow. But I know my God and put all my confidence in him. And so, exercise your faith. Make use of prayer. Hang on to worry. And you can be sure of this. You won't have any room for the peace of God in your hearts. The Apostle Paul is saying, now, overcome that worry by prayer. That's a tool that God has given you. In the way of your praying to him, trusting him, asking him in the name of Jesus. Lord, remove my peace or my worry. He will take that out and give you peace. May God give you the hope of heaven, but may he give you a foretaste of it now through the peace that he gives through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father in heaven, we confess our sin in our sinfulness before thee. Even if we don't like to think that we are worriers, we understand that we do like to put trust in ourselves or in other people or in a change of circumstances. And that it doesn't take much to shake us, to make us worry. Lord, we thank Thee for Thy Word, which delivers us from worry and shows us that in Jesus Christ we have freedom from that. We pray, O Lord, that Thou wilt work in our hearts and in our lives the peace that Jesus Christ has and that he has earned for us through his cross. And may we live in that peace tonight and in this coming week. We pray this for Jesus' sake. Amen.